It all started with a dream. This is so stupid! <laughs> In my whole life, for this. <laughs> I got some things to say. I'm still slowly dying, but uh. hey, we all are. You are listening to the best of the back row. Mo, it is time to play my favorite new game. Oh, gosh. You don't have in your script. I, I don't. Because you're the one that's going to play. Yep. It's time for Onion, not Onion. Do-do-do-do-do-do. I feel like we need some theme music for this. <laughs> I don't know what it would be. Oh, God. Onions. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we got. Here's how it works I'm going to read you two weird headlines. Got it. One of them is real, mm-hmm. one of them is from the Onion. Okay. Your job is to tell me which story is the real story, and then I will read you said news story. Okay. Easy enough? Easy enough. Easy peasy lemon squeezy? Got it. All right. So here we go. First two headlines. Okay. University replaces clapping with jazz hands over fears noise could trigger anxiety among students. Or report... It's not okay to just start talking to people you don't know. I'm okay. So, I, am I telling you the onion? You're telling, me, you're telling me which one is real. Which one is real? Uh, jazz hands. Jazz hands. Real. You think that's the real one? Yeah. You're correct. Clapping has been replaced with jazz hands at a student union amid amid fears that the noise of applause could trigger anxiety among some students. Mo's so just, you, Mo's just doing jazz hands at me right now. This <laughs> is actually in American Sign Language. This is is the sign for applause. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, we'll talk about yep. that. Yeah, in oh, here. Yeah, okay. Sorry. It's well, it's actually in British Sign Language, not American Sign Language. But mm, I think it is I, American Sign Language. I'm I'm dead serious. Well, you Google it while I read the story, okay. and we'll find out. All right. Who's right? Who's wrong? Whooping is also discouraged at Manchester. Whooping, whoop, 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 whoop. is also discouraged at Manchester University. Okay, well maybe it just says British Sign Language because this is in Britain, so you might be right. Let's, we'll just put it. We'll just say you're right. Don't even Google. <laughs> Manchester okay. University Student Union events on basis that the loud noise may be a problem for those with sensory issues. So the use of jazz hands, where students wave their hands in the air, is the British Sign Language expression for applause and is deemed a more inclusive gesture. More inclusive Mm -hmm. gesture. Mm -hmm. At the student union's first union meeting of the year, Manchester's liberation, liberation, yeah, and access officer, liberation and access officer. That's a whole title. Sorry. (laughs) Manchester's liberation and access officer, Sarah Khan, argued that the traditional applause was not sufficiently accessible to all students. Student Union resolved to swap out audible clapping in favor of jazz hands and to encourage student groups and societies to do the same. The union also plans to make uh, the uh, British Sign Language clapping part of inclusion training for new students. 
The motion, which was passed by the student senate with little opposition, notes that loud noises, including whooping and traditional applause, can pose an issue for students with disabilities such as anxiety or sensory issues. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I just, I mean, I get that, I get that there are people that have anxiety and sensory issues. But the percentage of them compared to the percentage of people who have been clapping their entire lives for everything that they've ever gotten excited about. Or whooping. Whoop! whoop. I, get, whoop, whoop. I understand whooping. Whooping's annoying. Oh, I'd love to but, whoop. <laughs> there's a time and a place, I guess, for whooping. Not always. But anyway. But well, I'm clapping. not going to do it at a wedding. But... Well, uh, I feel like you would, Mo. Or at a funeral. I feel like you do it at a wedding. Whoop, whoop! <laughs> you in heaven, yo! Whoop, whoop! <laughs> <laughs> we come today to lay to rest the body of Bill Finkelstein. <laughs> My boy's in heaven. I totally would. Please quiet. Would. Please quiet down, Mo. I'm not going to tell you again. <laughs> I would do it. Sorry. But I just I don't know. I feel like this is this is too far. I you know and you know? I'm. I am on the fence, Matt, because yeah. I, I'm in full agreement with you. Like, I feel like, okay, I feel like there is, we are now isolating this, and people are going to laugh at me, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. We are now isolating, you know, this is all to be more inclusive, mm-hmm. okay? And I get that, because I understand that there are yeah. people who, loud noises and whatever, it sends them off. I want to be sensitive to that. I want to be understanding of that. You know, we now know better, so we do better. I get it. But then there is this just innate, natural instinct within so many other people. And truthfully, I feel like within a large population of the world, that when something good happens... We want to celebrate yeah, it. Yeah, you celebrate it. And celebration is noise. Uh-huh. And now we are stifling that and suppressing it and pushing it down to where celebration is now just becoming movement of the hands. And I just right. don't... That's not inclusive to me. Right. And at the same time, think about um, like a play where you're up there acting and a scene ends. And what you need to hear uh-huh, is clapping. Absolutely. If you do not hear clapping, even if you're seeing a hundred thousand people waving their hands back and forth, if you're not hearing some audible recognition of what you're doing, that this is great and we like this, it's going to kill your self-esteem and doing that rest of that play. Sure. So I mean, uh, we need we need to respond. With celebration, with loud noise, with joyful noise in a lot of situations. And I know a handful of people that struggle deeply with anxiety issues. Mm -hmm. I've never heard a single one of them ever say that clapping is one of the things that bugs them. Yeah. See, and I don't know that anxiety is really... I don't know. I struggle with anxiety. And I've noticed it more and more and more over the last several months to the point to where I have trouble breathing in some situations and I can just feel my heart going faster. Noise isn't one of those things. That doesn't mean that some people don't sure. struggle with oh, it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm positive there are people. However, I think it's leaning more towards the sensory thing. 
you yeah. know there that, are, that makes more sense there are people who in sensory issues even canon is very sensory driven um he's not on the spectrum he does not have autism however loud noises do send him kind of over the edge hmm. but at the same time i've been able to teach him and i'm not saying that this is right or wrong or everybody should be able to but i've been able to teach him to really rein in his emotions and say and at least communicate with me as mom when i'm there mom i'm feeling a bit anxious i'm feeling overwhelmed i'm feeling crazy you know right and when we're in like when we go to the zoo or when we go to see a movie and it's just too loud for him he just kind of looks at me and in that moment i know okay and i'll help him whether it's just putting my arm around him or comforting him holding his hand any amount of comfort brings that anxiety sure. and that level down. I feel like the answer to this, especially since it would be such a small percentage, because it's not like a, a quarter of the students have sensory problems. I feel like the answer to this would be, number one, people who have these kind of issues are aware that they have them, and they typically know how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. They've learned how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming most people... Who have sensory problems, if they're being overwhelmed, would leave. Yeah. And or do whatever they need to do to calm down. Just like you said, you know, find some way to comfort yourself and get over it. But they know that that's something that they have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And most people that I've met that have some sort of disability or an issue like that don't like to be coddled. Yeah. Don't like to be treated weirdly. I would say that it would be more appropriate to have certain events at this at the student union or at this college campus that were specifically keeping that in mind. Yeah. Like we're going to have this event and it's going to be a BSL event where there will be no clapping. Mm-hmm. But to just across the board say no camp no no clapping anymore on this campus mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's too far. So and I agree. Yeah. I agree 100%. Um, there, I've got two things, and I'm going to be really quick about it. Okay. Um, my only thought is taking into consideration <clears throat> my friends and family who have spectrum children. Um, sure. And thinking about graduation, you know, graduation day, high school graduation, or even kindergarten graduation, or yeah. whatever, you know, and hearing the clapping and the excitement from the crowd I would never want for my child to be isolated or something to send them off into, sure. you know. And so, the in that aspect, I can see, I can understand why people feel like it's a necessity, why people are going forward with this. Yeah. Okay. Um, and in situations like that, I fully support it. Yeah. That's a big thing that everybody is a part of that you don't want to leave anybody out. Right. But if we're talking about like poetry slam night at you know yeah the, the quad coffee. yeah <laughs> what are we it's just yeah mm. yeah but go ahead so there's a television show well a netflix show a netflix original whatever it's called atypical and it's about a high school student who is autistic mm-hmm. and um he ends up dating he gets a girlfriend ends up dating and he goes to prom but he doesn't want to go to prom because he knows that in those situations he feels awkward and it sends him into kind of triggers him yeah okay um the loud noises the people dancing people close to each other people bumping into each other these are all things that trigger him 
in his autism. Okay, so his girlfriend, who is not autistic, but his girlfriend decides to propose this idea to the the parents, the essentially the PTA or whatever, um, to have a silent night prom. And so what that does is everybody is given headphones. And, that's, yeah, that's a fantastic uh-huh. idea all around. And the music for the night is streamed into these headphones. And so it's not blaring, overwhelming, loud music. Everybody has their own control over how loud the music is going to mm-hmm. be. And as I was watching this episode, and of course, parents are, there are some parents who are all for it in the episode and mm-hmm. some parents who are like, well, why does my child who's not autistic have to be punished because this person and, you know, but to sit back and go, you know what, this is a real solution that is inclusive to everyone. Yeah. You know, that that could really solve a quote unquote problem, mm-hmm. you know, um, and th- that would help others to understand the struggle that the teen is going through, that the autistic teen yeah. is going through, you know, mm-hmm. and make them more knowledgeable, more caring, more understanding. And it's. It's truly, it truly is inclusive at that point. Sure. And I'm not, and I don't want to belittle the people that are making this decision at the university as, as dumb or anything. I right. mean, their, their hearts are definitely in the right place. I just, you know. Yeah. There's just, there's got to be some sort of a limit to some of these things. Absolutely. Um, but I did see in like an episode of Lethal Weapon, I think it was, they had a party like that. It was like a rave or whatever, but it was like a silent rave where uh-huh. everybody was wearing headphones. So it was very quiet, but everybody was still partying and having yeah. fun. I thought, that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. That is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on. We talked about that way yeah, too long. sorry. Next two. Uh, Iowa aims to keep young people from moving out of state with new The Stress Will Kill Your Mother retention campaign. Ad campaign. Or Canadian military okays beards as long as they're not hipster style. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the the real the real one. The real news story is the Iowa. Iowa aims to keep young people from moving out of state with new "the stress will kill your mother." Yeah. Ad campaign. Yeah. Nope, that's false. Darn. The real one, Canadian military. The members of the Canadian military will be allowed to sport beards as long as they are not shaggy hipster beards, National Defense announced on last Wednesday. A new general order from the country's top military commander spells out the times and circumstances when facial hair will be permitted. The order includes specific grooming instructions. Beards must be neatly trimmed and shall not exceed two centimeters in bulk, and both the neck and cheekbones must be shaved. New policy eases restrictions that have been placed for years. Until now, beards were allowed only on a limited basis and solely at the discretion of the chief of defense staff. Uh, Okay, so I got to say something. I think that the Robertsons are going to be so terribly offended that their full, long man beards are (laughs) being being considered hipster. But they totally are now. (laughs) That is what hipsters are wearing, those big, long beards. All right, last two. Raccoons bust into Toronto woman's home, stare her down while defiantly eating her bread. Or, new study finds Americans scoot over at least 10 miles per year. To, like, accommodate other people, scoot over. Oh, wow. I'm going to go with the scooting over. Nope. 
It was a night like any other when the raccoons made their move. Toronto resident Jenny Swerlo had enjoyed a quiet evening at home Tuesday and had gone to bed when she started was startled awake by noises coming from her kitchen. The culprit, three raccoons, had broken through her window screen. The target, her bread. Wow. Leaping into action with a broom, Suerlo made enough of a commotion that two of the bandits decided that the goods weren't worth it. But the third simply stared at her from behind her toaster oven, defiantly gnawing on her English muffins. <laughs> he was like, I'm eating here. Get out of here, she said. Eventually, Suerlo called 311, hoping the city would be able to give her some advice. They told her to try and find a 24-hour wildlife removal company. What? She could not get through to any. Swirlow's standoff lasted over half an hour, she said. I was growling at him and hissing at him, trying to scare him out, but he wasn't having any of it. Occasionally, he would even grab the broom handle she was pointing at him and yank it really hard, she said. Finally, after he had eaten literally all the bread in her house, the last holdout got up and calmly walked back through her window, which she quickly locked. That didn't stop the group from spending the next two hours scratching to get back in. Hopefully my locks hold, Swirlow said. The experience was hilarious, she said, if also a little scary. It was the most Toronto thing that has ever happened, she said. (laughs) Now she gets to clean up the mess of her kitchen. No small task, considering raccoon poop can carry infections that can cause serious illnesses, blindness, and, while rare, death. Lovely. You're listening to the best of the back row. talk about uh something that uh this is probably a segment we'll do every now and then called is it a sin uh, well we're gonna take take a topic take a specific action that people have questions about and do our best to talk it out and see what conclusions you and i can come up with okay so today we're, we're talking about the question is it a sin to spy or eavesdrop mm-hmm. and uh we're taking that term from you know simply eavesdropping on a conversation that your friend's having all the way up to like professional spies for the government stuff like that is it a sin to do anything in that spectrum oh my goodness so what are your initial thoughts before we have any discussion no that's my initial thought that's not at all a sin to eavesdrop that it yep That's my thought. Is it because you do this a lot? Um, okay, so here's my thought, specifically with eavesdropping, okay? Uh-huh. If you are speaking loud enough in a public place to where if I sit back and I tone out everything else around me and listen to what you're saying and I can hear everything, that's your problem, not mine. Okay. Now, what if it's another situation like there's two people talking behind a closed door? It's obviously supposed to be a private conversation, but if you go and stand right up against the door, you can hear them. So you're deliberately making a point to actually eavesdrop. Then what? On what you know to be a private conversation. Okay. So if it's a <laughs> if it's a private conversation, door is closed. Yeah, mind your business. <laughs> Stay out of it. <laughs> However, when I worked, yeah, our file room butted up against my boss's office. Mm-hmm. And so whenever she went in there with a group of people and closed the door, you know where Megan was. <laughs> <laughs> in that file room listening. <laughs> 
I had to make sure I was not the topic of conversation. <laughs> I feel I do feel like that there have been times as an adult when I've eavesdropped and it's that's always been the case is I want to make sure that they're not talking about me. Exactly. I don't really care what else they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to remember a single thing they're saying. Yeah. Just want to make sure I didn't do something wrong and they're about to fire me uh-huh. or they're about For to real. get rid of me. For real. Something like that. Yeah. Yep. No, I get that. Um, I mean, technically your motives are still selfish, but they're not in a malicious I'm, way I'm, yeah a malicious way like I'm, I'm looking for some gossip to spread yeah. or something like yep. that no it's a it's a survival <laughs> way, a survival mechanism I need to make sure okay am I doing something wrong and if I am look I'm gonna change it right now before you can even bring me into your office to say something about it did you ever spy or eavesdrop when you were a kid do you remember any instances like for instance um Deidre and I you know we have Eli, who's a four-year-old, and we can't watch most of our shows around him. So we wait until he goes to bed. We put him to bed. Then we watch our shows. Well, most nights, I say half the nights, he tries to sneak out. Mm-hmm. And he'll crawl up the hallway and sit right behind the couch where Daedra's sitting. And we can't see him until we he inevitably makes a noise. Right. And we hear him and we put, go put him back to bed. But I remember doing that, too, when I was a kid. I remember climbing out. I even had one of those, uh, gosh, do you remember those? It was like a tube that bent, and it had a mirror down at the bottom and then a mirror at the top, so you could peek through it, and it would oh, went yeah. up, and like, yeah. oh, you could you could put it right over the, yep. the top of the couch there and yep. look and see what everybody's doing, Yep. as long as they didn't see you. I had one of those that I use all the time. Yeah, I guess that I did. As a kid, but... But that's just being mischievous. Yeah, and for, like, in the family that I grew up in, we played jokes on each other all the time. My mom's favorite holiday was and still is April Fool's Day. Um, so weird. I know, but she loves it. She lives for it. And so, as kids, my brother and I lived for it. Yeah. But we also lived for, like, scaring the snot out of our mom you know and so we'd hide and wait for just the right time and then jump out and scare her and i guess that in a sense that could be considered spying yeah you know but again we weren't doing it to be malicious right sort of (laughs) all right so let's let's talk about uh espionage oh gosh uh, legal stuff what are you thinking about that like Nations spying on other nations. Well, it's okay for America to spy on other nations. It is not okay for other nations to spy on us. Okay. That's that's That's, just. I mean, that makes sense to me. Yeah, that's the rule. (laughs) What about what about our nation spying on us through technology and stuff? Like you say, you have no problem with. Oh, I really don't. Right, but do you think it's ethical? No, I don't think that it's ethical. It obviously violates. privacy right to privacy yeah um i don't think that it's ethical for them to tap in or anyone to be able to tap into my computer's camera <laughs> i got a piece of tape over my camera see and it doesn't even like i see so many people they'll post like on instagram a picture of their computer or whatever and for the longest time i was like what is why do they have tape up there and it took me realizing oh yeah. They don't want to be spied on. And I'm of the mindset, go ahead, spy on me. What like, you going to see? I saw a picture of Mark Zuckerberg and his laptop camera has a piece of tape over his <laughs> camera too. I thought, look, if Mark is doing it, I'm doing it. Because <laughs> he knows something I don't know. <laughs> that's, that, that's probably true. I mean, to be fair, 
That's probably true. Uh, At the same time, though, I also think that it would be really cool if anything were to ever happen to me one day and my kids to go Google my name and these pictures come up of me sitting at the computer just doing every very mundane. You're thinking of the movie Final Cut with Robin Williams. Oh, my gosh. I don't know that movie. Okay, so it's in this. It's in the future. Where everybody who's born is implanted with a recording device in their brain that sees through their eyes. Okay. And so when you die, it records everything your entire life. Okay. And when you die, all that footage is sent to a guy like Robin Williams plays. And his his job is to piece together a montage of the best parts of your life for your funeral to play so cool right but then it got dark real quick oh i bet <laughs> well when you think because about, yeah. you're cutting out all the awful things that the people did and just keeping the good things and you're thinking blackmail junk and all kinds of it just ugh, it got so scary i'm gonna have to watch that it's a good movie though yeah definitely watch it's it wasn't it wasn't a big hit um, I don't even know if it ever went to theaters. I just don't remember it ever being in theaters, but I, but, uh, I like it. I need to watch it again too. Well, we just recently watched the newest purge and okay. Seriously. I watched it too. And they had those contacts that <laughs> yes, they put in and it records. look creepy. Yeah. Well, it makes them look creepy, but Blah. it records everything. And Chris and I were both like, that'd be so cool. Yeah. That'd be to like. To have a whole record of. Yeah. Event. Yeah. That would be neat. I'm, I'm all for that for a uh, voluntary situation. Yeah. If I would like to put these in to record something myself. Right. But not a, I have no choice in the matter situation. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I liked it. It was an okay movie for a prequel. Yeah. It was the worst purge in my opinion. It was the worst one. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the worst one. It was not scary it was not thriller it was just and you saw everything happening before it happened you knew True. it was coming yeah, it you was just, it was kind of predictable yeah you have just, you started watching the show version no but i've semi, heard that it's semi toned down but it's it's already i think it's only four episodes in but it's already like exploring a lot of the questions that people have about how things would work yeah that you know the movies ever can't ever really delve into yeah um like they have they have people that go around that help like like nurses almost that go around and help and it's an unrated rule that they're protected ah. uh it's not a legal thing the government doesn't sanction it that they're protected but everybody just kind of lets them be protected and doesn't mess with them and i thought that's really neat yeah but it's a very very intriguing uh I mean, obviously the violence is toned down because it's a tv show version right. um but i like it a lot yeah. Uh, I, none of us are <laughs> encouraging you to watch The Purge because those are really messed up movies. They are. But it's October. It's the month of <laughs> scary movies in our house. It. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. I do think so. Have you heard the latest about the Russians tapping into the Olympians' um, medical files? No. Yeah. So, this is the new, like, the latest news story or whatever. I heard it this past week. But, you know, we found that the Russians were using steroids with their Olympians. And so they were not allowed to attend 
the last Olympics. Mm. So because of this, as a revenge thing, one of their people went in, stole two over 200, I want to say it was like 245 um, medical files, a lot of which being um, Olympians. Yeah. They're like Serena and Venus, um, Simone Biles. They're all some of the ones that were that were hit and targeted. And then they were altered to show that they had been using steroids. Yeah. Wow. Yep. The latest one I've heard is that there have been several iPhones and other electronics that are made in China mm-hmm. that have been found to have a tiny little chip in them. That China itself has implanted to record certain things, certain people. I don't know the whole story, but it's something like that. It showed a little finger with a tiny little chip on it. Is there a way that you can open up your iPhone to see if you have this chip? (laughs) Specifically not. An iPhone, no. (laughs) They don't want you to be able to work on your iPhone. (laughs) Well, gosh. Yeah. Huh. So just scary stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, it does have that feeling of like, well, it's right when America does it. Exactly. But when these other people are doing it, obviously they're in the wrong. Exactly. <laughs> yep. It's right when I'm doing it. But when someone else is eavesdropping <laughs> on me in my conversation, then no, right. that's that's wrong. So as we uh, as we talk about this, of course, we're talking about the nationwide thing. God instructed Moses and Gideon to send spies in the enemy territory. Yeah. Joshua also sent spies. Uh, though it's not clear that it was at God's direction, but it clearly wasn't punished. So I'm assuming God was okay with it. So I guess what it comes down to is motives, no matter what the scale is. If your motives are being nosy and, and leading to gossip and selfish and malicious, probably sinful. But if your motives are more altruistic, as we want to believe like national spying our nation would be to protect us not to get dirt on other nations but you know maybe there's a gray area there i guess because the bible's not clear with where the line is when it comes to national spying yeah um but i I don't like gray areas matt i know but that's what usually, whenever there's a question of is this a sin that's usually why that the question exists because it's a gray area it's true um, but what is not a gray area, what is black and white, is if you are eavesdropping just to be nosy and to gossip, that's absolutely a sin. Right. So don't be nosy. Malice even, is... even, even if you're doing it to see if you're going to protect your own self, like we were talking about, there's still some selfishness behind that. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of skew in the sinful behavior. But, uh... Your motives are a little better, at least, because they're more focused on trying to protect yourself than hurt Ruin somebody else. Ruin someone else's yeah. life, yeah. But still, Ugh. it's it's probably not the best idea. Definitely not very nice to uh, to 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 to. What's the word I'm looking eavesdrop? for? Eavesdrop. I guess I was trying to find a different word, but yeah, to eavesdrop on other people's conversations that you know you're not a part of. But if you're at a, in. but if you're at a party, all conversations up for grabs unless they're behind closed doors. Truthfully, you just walk right up, even if you don't know what they're talking about. You have permission to stand right. You know, there. I don't even feel like it's just <laughs> limited to a party. Yeah, if somebody's talking at church after service Sunday morning, 
right? they're in the middle of if the this, sanctuary. Right. If this was supposed to be private, go to a classroom or right? something. Yeah. Right. If you're in a public <laughs> area and you're having a private conversation, <laughs> your conversation is no longer private. That's like I'm when free we to walk right up and go, hey, I'm late. Can you start this conversation over? Right. That's I like, want to know okay, how you so started. Our family rule when we play a card game, Uno or whatever, Rook. Rook. You hold, oh, it's Chris's favorite card game. I hate it. You <laughs> hold your cards out far enough for the person beside you to see, that's your fault. <laughs> uh, Look, you, if you're just throwing your information out there because you're not being careful enough, that ain't my problem. Exactly. Exactly. My problem, yeah. I will turn and look. <laughs> you got the Rook. Noted. Well, that's that's where we'll end with that discussion. You can come to your own conclusions, too, and let us know what you think. You are listening to the best of the back row. You are listening to the best of the back row. Twelve accidental inventions, Mo. That have changed the world. Okey-dokey. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Saccharin. Okay. You know it as the pink packet of fake sugar that's always sitting on the restaurant table. As sweet as it is, you may be surprised to know where it came from. In 1879, Konstantin Hallberg, a chemist trying to find alternative uses for coal tar, came home for dinner after a long day of work and noticed that his wife's biscuits tasted a lot sweeter than usual. After asking her about it, he realized he hadn't washed his hands after work and the coal tar remnants had sweetened the biscuit. Huh. So saccharin is coal tar. (laughs) I'm not certain how I feel about that. (laughs) Potato chips. Uh, And I knew this story before. Uh, in 1853, George Crumb, a chef, a chef, a chef, a chef, a chef in New York, <laughs> accidentally invented potato chips when an annoying patron kept sending his French fried potatoes back to the kitchen because they were soggy. In an attempt to teach the customer a lesson, Crumb sliced them extra thin, fried them to a crisp, and drowned them in salt. To his surprise, however, the complaining customer actually liked what would become the very first serving of potato chips. Wow. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Coca-Cola. (laughs) Coca-Cola. Although these days it's almost common knowledge, this list wouldn't be complete without Civil War veteran turned pharmacist John Pemberton and what he originally intended as nothing more than a medication for several ailments, such as opiate addiction and upset stomach instead he invented one of the world's most popular drinks this is also why the original coke actually did include cocaine on its list of ingredients that makes sense though yeah well i mean dr pepper was also the same thing yeah it was it was a medicinal thing and then it became a a hit and uh people drank it warm with butter at 10 2 and 4 put it in a skillet with some butter and then you drink that. That's have you never ha- Have you never had it? No. You should try it. It's great. Aren't you the one that put a whole stick of butter in a coffee one time? Not a whole stick of butter. <laughs> Isn't that what you do? Oh, Fat back coffee. Isn't that it's what you drink? It's called bulletproof, bulletproof coffee. coffee. <laughs> and you just do a teaspoon. You don't do I a stick. Like I feel like that's how much you put in. Oh, it was Megan Kelly that put like half a stick of butter in something. Some drink of hers. When she was on the keto diet, because she was 
behind on her fats for the day and she was trying to get them in. I'm pretty sure it was Megan Kelly. That's gross. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She said it was awful. She would never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Teflon. If you've ever cooked an omelet, you can thank Roy Plunkett, a chemist who worked for DuPont in the early 20th century for accidentally stumbling across a non-reactive, no-stick chemical while experimenting with refrigerants. Hmm. DuPont quickly patented it, and today we know it as Teflon, the coating on your pan that keeps your eggs from sticking. That's cool. Vulcanized rubber. I love that word, vulcanized. It sounds very science fiction-y. It does. Vulcan. Yeah. Uh, Charles Goodyear has spent ages trying to find a way to make rubber resistance to heat and cold, and after a number of failed attempts, he finally stumbled across a mixture that worked. Before turning out the lights one evening, he accidentally spilled some rubber, sulfur, and lead onto a stove, resulting in a mixture that charred and hardened, but could still be used in shoes and tires. Huh. And that's why we have our tires today. Very cool. Plastic. In the early 1900s, shellac was the material of choice when it came to insulation. But due to the fact that it was made from Southeast Asian beetles, the material was not cheap to import. So for this reason, chemist Leo Hendrick Bakeland. Bakeland? Bakeland. Bakeland. Leo Hendrick Bakeland thought he might be able to make some money by producing an alternative. What he came up with, however, was a moldable material that could be heated to extremely high temperatures without being distorted, hmm. also known as plastic. Radioactivity. <laughs> In 1896, physicist Henry Beck. These people need to have normal names. Right. right? So why, why couldn't it just be Bick- John Smith? Bequerel. Bequerel. Bequerel was trying to get fluorescent materials to produce x-rays by leaving them in the sun. His experiment, however, suffered a week of cloudy, overcast skies. After leaving all of his materials in a drawer, he returned one week later to find that the uranium rock he had left there had managed to imprint its image on a nearby photographic plate without any exposure to light. So he discovered radioactivity. Hmm. The color mauve. Mauve. M-A-U-V-E. Mauve. Strangely enough, it was while 18-year-old chemist William Perkin was busy researching a cure for malaria that he accidentally ended up changing the fashion world forever. The year was 1856, and one of his experiments ended up going terribly wrong, creating what seemed to be nothing more than a murky mess. As he examined it, however, William noticed a beautiful color radiating from the Petri dish. Thus, it became the world's first synthetic dye and introduced the world to the color mauve. Interesting. Mm -hmm. The pacemaker. Wilson Greatbatch was working on a contraption that would record human heartbeats while he accidentally inserted the wrong resistor. (laughs) It ended up perfectly mimicking the heart's rhythm and created the first implantable pacemaker. Hmm. Post-it notes. In 1968, Spencer Silver, a chemist working for 3M, stumbled across a low-tack adhesive that he found was just strong enough to hold paper to a surface, but weak enough that it wouldn't tear upon removal. After many failed attempts at finding a marketable application, one of Silver's colleagues, Art Fry, realized that it would be perfect as a no-slip bookmark. And that was the Post-it Notes beginnings. Huh. So it wasn't even as a note. It was as a bookmark. As a bookmark. All right, two more. Popsicles. In 1905, soda pop had just become the most popular drink on the market. 
11-year-old Frank Epperson decided he wanted to save money by making his own at home. Using a combination of powder and water, he got pretty close, but then absentmindedly left the concoction on his porch all night. Temperatures ended up dropping to below freezing, and when he came out in the morning, he found his mixture frozen frozen, with the stirring <laughs> stick still stuck in it. Wow. First popsicle. That's why it's called a popsicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned that when I was in elementary school, but it wasn't from school. It was from Nickelodeon. They did little... Stick stickly? I don't think it was stick stickly, but I do remember they did little cartoon things that came on during breaks between shows mm-hmm. that just taught you taught you a little history about fun things. And Who then it says had you a, can't learn anything from watching TV? And then it had a little activity at the end where you can make yours at home too. Get a Get an ice cube tray. Fill it with orange soda, then put some saran wrap over the top and take a toothpick and pop it in each one of the holes. Hmm. Tomorrow morning, you'll have a treat. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. And I did it. And it was fantastic. All right. Ice cream cones. (laughs) Have you heard the ice cream cone story before? No. I've heard this one, but this is fantastic. Although ice cream has been served on dishes for years, it wasn't until the 1904 World's Fair that the ice cream cone was born. An ice cream stall at the fair was doing so well that they were quickly running out of plates while the neighboring Parisian waffle stall was hardly selling anything. The two stall owners then had the idea of rolling up the waffles, plopping the ice cream on top, and Viola, the ice cream cone, was born. And that's why waffle cones are such a popular thing, even though they're not technically waffles. But that's why we still gravitate toward a waffle cone. That's really cool. Yeah. You know that that's voila, right? What did I say? Viola. Did I say viola? I did say viola. (laughs) (laughs) My brain moved the I and the O and viola. And viola. (laughs) I thought you were joking. That's an (laughs) instrument, right? Yeah. Viola. Oh, what would I do without you here to point out my idiocy? Hey, you know, I just just wanted to make sure you were aware. That's all. Well, there we go. Viola, 12 (laughs) accidental (laughs) inventions that have changed our world, mostly for the better. We got 12 mo. Wow. There are at least 24 accidental inventions out there. At least 24 accidental inventions that have changed our world. Number one, the microwave. Every reluctant cook should be grateful to Percy Spencer, a Navy radar specialist who was tinkering around with microwave emitters when he felt the chocolate bar in his pocket start to melt. The year was 1945 and the world, or rather the kitchen, hasn't been the same since. The Slinky. You know this one? This is no. one I've heard a lot. During World War II, Navy engineer Richard James was trying to figure out a way to employ springs aboard Navy ships to keep sensitive instruments from bouncing around when he, was accident- when he accidentally dropped one of them. To his amusement, the spring immediately righted itself and landed upright on the floor. Since then, kids everywhere have enjoyed playing with this springy metal toy. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? It was just by accident. Playing with different types of springs. Well, then. You're like, hey, this would be fun. And it is, sort of, until... It's fun for about a couple days. I wouldn't even give it a couple days. Oh, I still give it a couple days. Every, like, five years, I'll get a slinky. Same thing with yo-yos. Yo-yos last a little longer, though, than five days. But every five years or so, I'll get a slinky because they're cheap. 
and I'll enjoy it for a few days, and then I'll break it or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm, the first slink down, and it gets tangled, and you can never get it back to the original. You want to know what's pointless? Those tiny little slinkies that you can't even bend over halfway. Mm-hmm. What's the point of that? There isn't There's one. no fun. You just pull it. Yeah. That's like an accordion that makes no noise. Exactly. Not fun at all. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> but yo-yos, man. Every five years or so, I'll buy a yo-yo. I love yo-yos. And I'll go to town with that yo-yo for a I'm good actually, solid month. I'm actually pretty good at yo-yo. I'm all right with a few things. Yeah. Yeah. I knew a couple tricks. Walk the dog and more. rock the cradle. Mm-hmm. I can't do the cradle one. No. I keep trying. I'm not I'm not coordinated enough to make the cradle in time. Yeah. <laughs> and then get it back up. Yeah. I always blow my kids' mind every year when I can do the tricks. And they're like, how do you do that? <laughs> really, I don't know. It just took a lot of practice. Uh, all right. Play-Doh. Maybe it comes as no surprise that the smelly, gooey stuff kids have been playing with for decades was originally intended as wallpaper cleaner. What? In the early 20th century, however, people stopped using coal to heat their homes, which meant that their wallpaper stayed relatively clean. Luckily for Cleo McVicker. The original inventor, his son, discovered another use. Modeling clay. Hey. How about super glue? Harry Coover, a researcher at Kodak Labs, was developing plastic lenses for gun sights when he stumbled across a synthetic adhesive made from, who, help me with this, cyanoacrylate. Huh? Yeah. Cyanoacrylate. Cyanoacrylate. I don't know. Something like that. At the time, he rejected it as being far too sticky to be of any use. Years later, though, it was rediscovered and is today sold under the trade name of Superglue. Hey, I don't know how true that is, Matt. Where'd you get these from? Because... Mental, mental floss. Superglue was originally used for medicinal purposes in the war for small cuts. Well, do you think... It was used after it was discovered this way? I don't know. Let's double check and find another source. <laughs> uh, nope. Harry Coover. Wikipedia. Huh. Um, but it was a material that was used during both world wars as an alternative to stitches on large cuts and wounds. Um, yep. Huh. So let's see here. So originally he was trying to use it for gun sites, but then it... Yes. Yeah. Huh. So, yeah, there we go. So a little from column A, a little from column B. Yeah, well done. <clears throat> Velcro. Uh-huh. Swiss, Swiss engineer George D. Mestral was on a hunting trip with his dog in 1948 when he noticed how burrs would stick to its fur. Eventually, he managed to replicate the effect in his laboratory, but it wasn't until NASA came along in the 1960s and began using the material in its space program that this zipperless zipper was really popularized. Hmm. So this wasn't really accidentally invented, more like replicated from an accidental thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, X-rays. Oh, this is scary. It's like the radioactivity one. <laughs> In 1895, Wilhelm was performing an experiment using cathode rays, and he realized that some fluorescent cardboard across the room was lighting up. This was in spite of the fact that there was a thick block between the cathode ray and the cardboard. 
The only explanation was that light rays were actually passing through the solid block. And that's where x-rays were born. Well then. <clears throat> How about safety glass? Eduard Benedictus. Hey, great job. A French chemist <laughs> accidentally knocked a flask off of his desk one day. It fell to the ground, but rather than shattering, it only cracked. The flask had been filled with plastic cellulose nitrate or liquid plastic, which had evaporated and left a thin but durable film on the inside. This led Benedictus to securing the first patent for safety glass, which is most commonly used in vehicle windshields. That's cool. Yeah. That's a cool discovery. That's a very cool accidental discovery. Yeah. How about (laughs) cornflakes? With Keith Kellogg, or Will Keith Kellogg, began helping his brother John cook meals for patients at the sanitarium, at which he worked when he left some bread dough out to sit for several hours. Deciding to bake it anyway, the result... Birthed the first batch of cornflakes. Well, then. Uh, he then used those cornflakes as uh, a medicinal purpose to try to keep people from touching themselves. Really? He marketed it as that for a while to like hospitals and stuff. Obviously. It's just cereal. I was going to say, <laughs> what? I'm um, like, what was his argument? I, it, it was the past where people were dumb. That's the only <laughs> thing. It was a snake oil situation. Dynamite. It's not like humanity just recently discovered how to blow up things. Gunpaper, gunpaper, gunpowder, and nitroglycerin have been around for ages. This issue, however, uh, the issue, however, especially in this case, is nitroglycerin. And its uh, instability. It wasn't until Alfred Nobel accidentally discovered a method of containing the substance without hindering its power that people could really have a blast. Hmm. Anesthesia. Oh, this is another one of those scary ones. Have you accidentally? (laughs) Although there is no single person to credit with discovering anesthesia, Crawford Long, William Morton, and Charles Jackson are all contributors to finding a practical use for it. They noticed that drugs such as nitrous oxide or laughing gas then used for recreational purposes, was an effective sedative. Eventually, surgeons started to use uh, use ether during their procedures, paving the way for the modern anesthetics we use in surgeries today. Hmm. But gosh, it's scary. Yeah. <sighs> and, you know, I think, too, what's a little more scary for me is, like, sure, nothing has happened, nothing's gone wrong, but it was an accidental find. An accident could happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Stainless steel. Next time you enjoy your dinner with a rust-free fork, remember to thank 20th Century Arms Manufacturer for hiring Harry Brerley. (laughs) An English... I feel like they're just messing with me now. (laughs) Right? Brerley. Harry Brerley. An English metallurgist, Brerley, was asked to develop a gun barrel that wouldn't rust. After testing his creation on various uh, corrosives, such as lemon juice, he realized that it would be perfect for cutlery. Huh. Isn't that great? I've never, I had never really thought about it until I was an adult that, hey, why doesn't this, these metal, I mean, I put this, yeah, why don't this they stuff rust? soaks in water for days. Why isn't it rusting? True. Yeah. And lastly, something that I am deathly allergic to. Are you really? Penicillin. Yep. 
While studying Staphylococcus, microbiologist Alexander Fleming added some of the bacteria to Petri dishes before leaving for vacation. He had expected the bacteria to grow, but upon returning, he was surprised to find a mold growing in the dishes instead. A close inspection found that the mold released a byproduct, which inhibited the growth of the staph, giving birth to the first antibiotic, penicillin. That's right, folks. It was not discovered on a piece of bread. Or it cheese. Was, That's what I've cheese. always heard. Cheese. It was actually a real scientific experiment in a Petri dish that just went awry. Hmm. Um, but, yes, I have to stay away from moldy bread. I'll get, typically, if I touch it, like I'll get a rash or something. It's not like I'll die if I touch moldy bread. But if they give me medicine that's penic- got penicillin in it, uh I'll definitely be in the hospital. Or amoxicillin. Or, yeah, anything with a cillin at the end is partially penicillin. So, and then there's a fake penicillin called sulfa. So it's like sulfa something and sulfa something else. All these different sulfa drugs. I can't have that either. Wow. So my, my antibiotics are limited. So I just have to not get sick. <laughs> That's guess, easy enough, I right? that works. You're listening to the best of the back row. go to heaven now this has been a disagreement that mo and i have had for our whole friendship (laughs) mo why don't you go ahead and explain your stance well i just feel like i (laughs) you have say it with conviction you have no listen you (laughs) haven't had to tell your kids yet that their (laughs) beloved family pet has died and that when they say Will I ever see them again? <laughs> you haven't had to say, no, it doesn't appear that you will. <laughs> so. Facts appear to state that you will not <laughs> indeed see your dog again. Um. So, I just feel like, no, I'm not even going to, because people make fun of me for feeling well, this, this way. Well, this is what we're discussing. Come on. God, God created them. Yeah. Breathed life into them. I don't know why he wouldn't. All right. And my stance stance has always been, you know, animals don't have souls. There's no way they're going to get into heaven. And so I've been pretty set in that stance for a long time. But I had decided recently to really look and see what other people have concluded. Okay. And essentially the answer is we don't know. But we can't rule it out. Mm-hmm. And there are some specific reasons why. <laughs> so this is actually the answer from, uh, this is a specific answer from God Answers. I, ch- I checked quite a few different places, but uh, they all seem to say basically the same thing. But I think this this actually puts it into an uh, easy to understand format. So this is from GodAnswers.com or .org. I think it's .org. The Bible does not give any explicit teaching on whether pets or animals have souls or whether pets or animals will be in heaven. However, we can use general biblical principles to develop some clarity on the subject. The Bible states that both man and animals have the breath of life. That is, both man and animals are living beings. The primary difference between human beings and animals is that humanity is made in the image and likeness of God, while animals are not. 
Being made in the image and likeness of God means that human beings are like God, capable of spirituality with mind, emotion, and will, and they have a part of their being that continues after death. If pets and animals do have a soul or an immaterial aspect, it must therefore be on a, of a different or lesser quality. This difference possibly means that your pet and animal souls do not continue in existence after death. However, another factor to consider regarding whether pets will be in heaven is that animals are a part of God's creative process in Genesis. God created the animals and said they were good. Therefore, there is no reason why there could not be pets or animals on the new earth. And there will most definitely be animals during the millennial kingdom. It is impossible to say definitively whether some of these animals might be the pets that we had while here on earth. We do not know, uh, but we do know that God is just and that when we get to heaven, we will find ourselves in complete agreement with his decision on the issue, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. But Eden was God's original plan, which included animals. Heaven is supposed to be a return to that plan, Mm -hmm. which will almost certainly include animals of some kind. There has been a lot of, like in Isaiah, um, a lot of imagery and stuff laid out that seems to imply yeah animals will still be around and even a lot of the angels have animal aspects yeah uh to them um and so like they listed there are several verses about the millennial kingdom that clearly lays out animals will be present which is kind of like a time that heaven will be on earth right but at the same time, we have no evidence to support that animals have souls. They have the lifeblood also that God considers sacred. And they have the breath of God, like we mentioned. But there's no mention of souls in the Bible for them. So the question really kind of comes down to, are these animals that we see in the end times or in heaven, mm-hmm. are they ones that have died on earth or are they animals created specifically for heaven? You know? Yeah. So either way, it's not as clear cut as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think there's a possibility. Now, uh, one of the things put it as um, if 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 we've come to the conclusion that there will indeed be animals in heaven, even if it's not the animals that we had, the pets that we had on earth, uh, it's still possible that you'll have a pet companion in heaven if you want one. Right. You know, who knows? Yeah. Um, so I'm coming around to your idea. Thanks, Mo, Matt. That you might be right. It might be possible. Uh, of course, they're not saved or in salvation situation. Right, right. Of course, that has nothing to do with that spirituality. But whether or not animals exist at all in heaven kind of seems possible. Yeah. When you really look at it. So. I do. I feel with 100% certainty, honestly. That there will be pets in heaven. Mm-hmm. Animals in heaven. Maybe not pets. Yeah, it might but, be pets itself. But yeah, yeah, but animals. I just don't know. I would love to be able to think that our our bunny who died last year is there. <laughs> but. So, well, gosh. For families that have a lot of pets over the course of their life, you get up there and you have a whole zoo waiting for you. Yeah. That <laughs> might seem a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, there was um, specifically talking about the millennial kingdom, which is supposed to be a thousand years that Jesus reigns on earth mm-hmm. after whatever happens in the end times, which, of course, there's tons of debate about how that will go and what the schedule is and all that. Um, but there's supposed to be a thousand years that, that Jesus reigns on this new earth before everybody goes 
to heaven essentially mm-hmm. with so with with everybody that's still living here and society will still continue on that's kind of the idea uh i was recently listening to the audio dramatization of left behind again while i do my janitor work which i know left behind is not 100 percent theological or theologically accurate to a lot of people and including myself but it is a fantastic story um but the way they handled the uh, Millennial Kingdom animal situation, uh, I feel like was a choice that they had to make. It was very strange. Is that as that started, you wondered, mm, are we still killing animals? Or are we back to Eden situation mm-hmm. with no death? Right. And so, because like... Most people believe, like in the tale of Genesis, before Adam and Eve sinned, no animals died. Right. Because death wasn't a, a concept. Um, so would we return to that or not? Because it says, you know, in that time, the lion will lay down with the lamb. They won't fight. Animals will not hunt each other. Mm-hmm. But in the Left Behind story, they basically said, well, we're not going to stop eating meat. So when they went to the butcher shop to ask him where they're getting all this meat, the butcher's like, you're not going to believe this, but the animals are lining up outside my door. Wow. Volunteering <laughs> to, to be food for people. Yeah. Which in a way is great, but when you think about the slaughtering process and whatnot, I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. feels weird. Yeah. Feels weird. Feels strange. Yeah. But I mean, then again, that's how we get our food today. And I just, it's a, it's a, it's, it's weird when you think about it. It's easy to be able to disconnect though, when you're not raising them yourself. Sure. You know, and mm-hmm. you just go to the, the grocery store to yeah. buy your hamburger. And I, meat. and I do 100% get Christians who, or even non-Christians who are vegetarian because they don't like animal cruelty. Yeah. Especially the way we kind of half-heartedly take care of our animals here in america that are made for food um i wish it were much better yeah um of course god laid out that it's okay to eat meat in the bible but um but yeah cruelty on any level kind of makes you double think things yeah what you want to support and whatnot yeah i have a friend that has a pig and she raises animals she has a small farm Mm -hmm. she raises animals and we asked her are you it's one of three pigs. Are you going to eat any of the pigs? Are you raising them for food or anything? And she was like, well, this one, yeah. And they named him Bacon. Um, <laughs> but only because he has a hernia. And so he won't be able to be bred he, mm. or to breed. He won't be able to be sold anywhere else to any, you know, any other buyers or farmers or whatever. He won't be able to be used for anything. She's letting him live out his days. Eventually, he's going to pass away. Mm -hmm. But she's giving him a good life, letting him live out his days on her farm. And then when the time comes, she will use him for meat. Then she earned him. (laughs) And I kind of, I told her, I said, I don't ever want to know when I'm eating bacon. (laughs) If you invite us over for dinner and it happens to be pork of some sort... (laughs) 
don't want to know. Me. Just don't. Yeah, don't, tell, don't me. tell me. At this point, I've grown to kind of like the little guy. <laughs> I don't want to know. See, I feel like that might be worse. That might be worse than a factory farm pig. Somewhere you raised this. You gave it love. You cared for it. You let it die a natural death. All right, let's eat it. Yeah. See, but then her mindset is, I know where my food is coming from. Sure. It's I know that. It, yeah, raised better uh -huh, and healthier. It was given good food. It was given yeah. a good farm health life, good healthy farm life. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't do it. That's a whole other discussion. Yep, sorry. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the best of Matt and Moe here on BackRowRadio.com. For more of Matt and Moe's antics throughout the years, follow our podcast, The Morning Side Hug, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can hear brand new episodes of the Morning Side Hug Monday through Thursday on BackRowRadio.com at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. See you again real soon. <laughs>